Uh, so babies are not virtuous. Babies are not virtuous. Toddlers, not virtuous at all. Okay. They are not. Hello again, everyone. My name is Callum. And my name is Alexandrus. And today we had on Margaret Hampson, who is a lecturer in ancient philosophy at St. Andrews. And here's some thoughts on Aristotle's ethics and moral habituation. Margaret, welcome on the podcast. It's great to have you here. Thank you very much for having me here. So let's begin by maybe asking why Aristotle wants us to be virtuous. Why do we have to be good? Um, great. So the topic of the Nicomachean ethics in which Aristotle writes about virtue is the human good. So he's thinking about, you know, what's the good for human beings? What does a good human life consist in? Um, and his answer is virtue. So the concept of virtue here for Aristotle is really the concept of excellence. So, you know, what's what's the best condition as the kinds of beings that we are? And so Aristotle thinks, um, you know, we, we have various aspects to our nature. We have a rational nature. We have non-rational nature. We're, we're beings who have uh, are capable of knowledge, belief, reasoning, but we have um, emotions, we have non-rational desires, we're capable of action, obviously. And so when he's talking about virtue, he's talking about, you know, the excellence uh, with respect to these, these human capacities. And in a way that answers the question, I think, why, why should we be virtuous? You know, why should we be good? Because we want to be in the best condition that we possibly can as the kinds of beings that we are. And, and this, for Aristotle, is what our flourishing, what our happiness consists in. That's very good. Um, so just to maybe nitpick a bit, um, Aristotle very much builds up um, from the kind of beings we are, as he said, what it means to be good. So maybe talk a bit more about what being in an excellent position for us means. And what does that mean for Aristotle? Does it mean that I get high scores in my exams? Or does it mean... Um, that I drink a lot of juice in the morning or I go for a run every day? Um, is it something tangible that I can have a regiment about and do every day? Or, or is it something more abstract? Good. So I suppose that, that some of the things you've been talking about, you know, do I have do I have juice and, and so on? Those those are the kinds of activities that will contribute to our physical health. So you might think, you know, our excellent physical condition is captured by the, the concept of health and there are things that we can do in order to bring that about. But Aristotle is really, he's interested in uh, you know, virtue of the soul. You know, we might talk about our minds nowadays. So um, he's thinking about what, you know, what's the best uh, state that we can be in, given the kinds of various you know, psychological capacities that we have. Um, but he's also interested not simply in, in being in a good state, but actually kind of exercising that state as well. And uh, engaging in the kinds of activities that are associated with that excellent state. So we, we are capable, as I said, of, of reasoning. And so a good life is going to consist in actually using uh, our reason, engaging in that activity. And, and likewise, you know, we're, we're, we're desiring being. So we want to have good desiderative uh, dispositions and we want to kind of exercise those in, in actions and choosing certain sorts of actions. So so that there's there's a question, you know, what does virtue consist in? How is that uh, exercised? And then there's a further question about what we can do to bring that state about. So we can talk about the exercise of virtue and we can do the things that are necessary to get into that condition in the first place. 
Okay, so before we go on any kind of further, would you mind going into a bit more detail about uh, what actually is virtue and what does Aristotle consider to be the virtues? Sure. So Aristotle, he, he distinguishes very broadly between the intellectual virtues uh, on the one hand and the virtues of character on the other. And these, uh, so I, I said that as the kinds of beings we are, we have both a rational nature and a non-rational nature. And broadly speaking, these, these virtues, collections of virtues, correspond to those two aspects of our nature. So the intellectual virtues comprise more specific virtues, such as scientific knowledge, the virtue of theoretical wisdom, um, also the virtue of practical wisdom. There's also um, skill or, or, or technical kind of craft in there. And then on the other hand, we have perhaps what are the more familiar virtues uh, to us. So the, the character virtues, and these encompass things like justice, courage, uh, moderation, and also uh, some other quite fun virtues like the virtue of magnificence, um, which is the virtue of spending on a large scale. Um, so that may be a, a virtue that's related to our, our social nature there as well. Aristotle thinks that we, we have obligations to sometimes spend on a large scale for the sake of the community around us. And how does he decide which of these are virtues? Does he just kind of pick the ones that he thinks he fancies or does he have more of a system involved in deciding what is and isn't a virtue? Right. So I guess it, it, it goes back to this notion of excellence. You know, what, what are the kinds of excellent conditions that we can be in? So Aristotle thinks that a, a, a virtue is something that enables us to perform our function well, so our function is um, don't think of that as a kind of instrumental function, but as our, our characteristic activity. So for him, that's reasoning. Though when I talk about reasoning, we can talk about engaging in forms of calculation and practical reasoning. But also, Aristotle thinks that our rational soul can speak in some sense to our non-rational soul, to our desires, to our emotions. So uh, a virtue is something that enables us to perform that function of reasoning and, and speaking to those capacities that can listen to reason well. Uh, if we think about what kinds of capacities we have, we, we have just on the intellectual side, say we have capacities for a certain kinds of scientific knowledge. We have the capacity to contemplate theoretical truths. We have the capacity to think about and execute practical truths, actions. Um, we have the capacity to engage in skilled action. And so a virtue is something that is always you know, the excellent condition of those capacities. It allows us to do those things well. So likewise, on the, like the character side, which I suppose we're going to be focusing on more, in a sense, Aristotle is interested. So there are, there are a whole load of virtues that fall under this, this broad umbrella of character virtues. And they seem to correspond to the various kinds of um, emotions that we're capable of experiencing and the various kinds of situations that we find ourselves in as moral beings. So there is a principle uh, as it were, to you know, to what counts as a virtue, and it's it's um, say in the in terms of human character, it's determined by the needs and the things that are relevant to us as the kinds of beings that we are, um, particularly as 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 social creatures and uh, and the like. Okay, so what then consists in us being virtuous? Is it do we just have to kind of do these things? Are we born with these things? Is it kind of luck of the draw, whether you're going to be a virtuous person or not? Or is there something more we can do? Great. So I guess there are, there, there are two questions there. Yep. Uh, right. So, so one question is, 
what is virtue, what does being virtuous consist in? Like, I'll, I'll focus on the character case from now on. And then the, the other question is, as, as you say, you know, are, are we all born with it or how do we, how do we become virtuous? So on, on the first question, uh, you know, what, what, what does virtue actually consist in? Is it, and you, you asked, you know, is it just doing just things, is it doing courageous things, standing at your post or, or whatnot? Um, and Aristotle does think that, that at least it consists in doing these things. So when we're talking about virtue of character, we're talking in part about a disposition towards action. We're practical beings, so it's important that we engage um, in action. But he doesn't think that action is, is sufficient for virtue. So we're also talking about your, your state of character, the state of character from which certain actions issue. So he thinks that we can... Uh, as you say, dis- distinguish between uh, virtuous actions, you say just actions, courageous actions, temperate actions, you think about as the, the right action in a situation. But we can also think about those being done a certain way. Um, and that's what's characteristic of the virtuous agent. So to be virtuous is not just to perform a just action, but for Aristotle, it's to do it, uh, he says, knowingly. So you know what you're doing, you're not acting in ignorance, for example. It involves choosing these actions and choosing them for their own sakes. Uh, so you're not performing the just action, but, uh, you know, with an ulterior motive or because you think it will make you look good, for example. So for Aristotle, you're you're performing it because it's the just thing to do, because it's the right thing to, for example, repay your, your debt or whatever our example is. And finally, he thinks that the virtuous person acts from a firm and unchanging state of character. So the the virtuous person doesn't just do just things and do them knowingly and choose them uh, on occasion. Uh, This is something that they regularly, reliably do. And as I say, it it issues from their their character, their their desires, their conception of the end is all aligned with the right sorts of actions and the the, the values that these have. That's an answer to the question, what is virtue? What's involved in being virtuous? And if we're talking about the character virtues. Now, your other question is, is this something we're just, uh, you know, something we're born with or something that we have to work at? And Aristotle thinks it's not something that we have by nature. It's not something uh, that we're born with. So the virtues for Aristotle are acquired states. So babies are not virtuous. Their babies are not virtuous. Not virtuous at all. Okay. Um, so Aristotle says in, in book two of the Nicomachean Ethics, so we're not virtuous by nature, but nature gives us the, the capacity, as it were, to develop the virtues. So uh, as human beings, we can, we have the, the capacity to become virtuous in a way, for example, that a cat doesn't. A cat doesn't have the capacity to become virtuous, or, or at least in the, in the human sense of, uh, of virtuous. Um, but we, we human beings do. But he says, uh, you know, it's that's something that needs to be developed. And it's developed in the case of the character virtues by a process that he calls or we translate as habituation. Um, so he says the um, we're, we're not virtuous by nature, but virtue is something that arises out of habit or, as we might say, out of a process of, of moral habituation. OK, so could you explain a bit more about what Aristotle would mean by habituation? Right, sure. So he he goes on to say he when when he says that virtue is acquired by habituation, he he draws an analogy with the skills, uh, with the acquisition of skills here. So he says that the virtues and the skills we acquire by being active first. And he goes on to explain a little bit more, and he says, well, just as in the case of say building, 
we become builders by engaging in the activity of building the, the activity that we engage in once we're builders. So too, in the case of virtues, we acquire the virtues by doing um, you know, just and temperate and courageous things. So for Aristotle, this process of habituation clearly involves performing certain sorts of actions, performing virtuous actions, and, and, it, and it involves doing them you know, many times over a long period of time. So he really emphasizes that this is something that has to start from the earliest moments, you know, right from childhood. So when, when, when we talk about habit and habituation, um, I suppose in, in English, sometimes that can conjure perhaps some fairly narrow notions. So we, we might think principally of certain sorts of actions, um, things like biting our nails or brushing our teeth. So we think of actions that are performed perhaps automatically without much conscious thought. Um, and when we think about the way that those habits are acquired, a, a process of habituation, we might think of you know, the, the, the mindless repetition of those actions, the, the result of which is that acting in that way just becomes something automatic, that we don't have to, we just do it without even thinking about it. Um, and perhaps when Aristotle, you know, he emphasizes that we need to we need to perform just actions, temperate actions, we need to do them many times, you might think that something like that notion is there. But I think for, for, for a number of reasons, um, we shouldn't think about habit and habituation in this very narrow way for Aristotle. So for one thing, just uh, acquiring the, the bare habit in, in that English sense of, of, of doing some just things um, is just not what justice or courage or the other virtues consists in. Um, so as I, I've already said, it, it being virtuous involves, of course, performing certain sorts of actions you have to perform the action that's appropriate to the situation. So the agent has to know what they're doing. They have to choose the actions, you know, there's this stable state of character. So mindlessly performing certain action types is, first of all, not what virtue is for Aristotle. And again, it's really hard to see how simply mindlessly repeating some certain sorts of actions could bring you into that really demanding state, a very psychologically rich state that I've been describing. So I think when, when Aristotle speaks of habit and habituation, he he is talking about something that importantly involves action, being active in a certain way, engaging in the relevant uh, activities for whatever the habit is that you're acquiring. But we're talking more about something like acquiring a second nature. So we, we can make things second nature to us, but it's a transformation in the sense of our, our first nature, the things that we do by nature, certain capacities that we're born with. And so when he's talking about what results from habituation, he's really talking about the, I think, the acquisition of a second nature. And I think when we think about it like that, rather than in this kind of more narrow sense, we can think actually of quite a lot that might be involved in that process of making these sorts of activities a part of our nature, as it were. So when you say um, second nature, what exactly does that mean? And could you maybe contrast it to what our first nature is or is supposed to be for Aristotle? When you said second nature, the example that came to mind was a musician playing their relevant instrument and how after like years of practice, they don't think about where they place their fingers or how they play the instrument. Is that what second nature is or is it much more expansive? So that might be a part of it. So certainly it is the case that for Aristotle, when you're virtuous, these things come come pretty easily to you. 
doing the courageous thing isn't so you're not conflicted about it in part because your your you know your desires are fully aligned with these sorts of actions you can read situations well so there is that sense of it what what i what i don't want us to think is that this is something kind of mindless um because the the virtuous person is someone as i said is is characterized by by certain sorts of knowledge um being able to deliberate uh, excellently um but but for sure there is there is some sense in which we, we might think that you know the virtuous person these things come almost naturally in that sense of second they have become almost as if they were a part of their nature and so we might think about well what are young children like they seem to be fairly motivated for aristotle at least by pleasure and pain maybe then at some point things like um praise and and blame and so on but there seems to be, say, a difference in the way that children act, uh, as I say, you're fairly responsive to immediate pleasures and, and pains, and the way that you might think a fully developed moral agent acts, the kinds of desires that a, a well-developed moral agent has. They're not simply motivated by what's immediately pleasant or painful, but they have broader considerations. They have you know, much richer desires. So just taking that as one example, we might think of us having certain sorts of desires and motivational capacities by nature, uh, you know, as part of our natural endowment. But we can also think about this process through which we develop as as transforming those kinds of desires that we have um, so that what results from it is a second nature. And Aristotle seems to think that there's something about engaging in these kinds of actions, doing them repeatedly, making those a second nature to us. Um, that can also be transformative of things like our desires and our, our reasoning and so on. I should ask, what does a child do in order to become a fully developed agent? Not biologically, but I mean, in order to become the virtuous person that Aristotle wants them to do. What does he think happens in those years between being a child and being a fully developed moral agent? Right. So um, I, I, I guess he thinks that we we do just uh, and courageous and, and, and temperate things. So he, he really stresses in the ethics that are engaging in these sorts of activities is something that needs to start you know, right from, from childhood onwards. You know, it's really important that we, we, we establish the right sorts of uh, habits, the right sorts of patterns of conduct from the earlier stage. Now, you might think, well, is a small child going to be engaging in courageous actions and and perhaps the the kinds of virtues that, that we start to learn you know might might depend on our stage of development so i suppose we we think of children learning things like moderation um generosity we teach very small children to share uh we think that it's important to teach them to share in order to be generous it's hard to see how you could become generous if you've not done some sharing um and maybe virtues like courage we, 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 you know, they start to learn by doing things like not running away from the scary dog because it's not actually dangerous. He's he's friendly. So maybe children aren't doing things like standing firm on the battlefield because that's not appropriate for them. But, uh, you know, we might think that they're, they're learning the the rudiments of, of justice. You say, give that back. That's not yours. It's not yours to to take. So Aristotle thinks, I think, that they can start to be engaging in, in these, um, the, the right sorts of actions. We might think as well that mechanisms of praise and blame will uh, will help us to, to, to guide them onto the right sorts of actions. Perhaps capacities for shame might be important. It might be important that 
that children learn to feel ashamed for doing vicious things, for for taking the toys away from their brother or, uh, or, or what have you. So there's a lot that potentially could be going uh, on in there. And one kind of important thing I think might be imitation as well. So Aristotle says in the Poetics that we are naturally imitative beings. And he says in the rhetoric that amongst the things that we try to emulate are, are the virtues. We, we, we try to, it's, we, we quite naturally emulate virtuous people and that this is something that's particularly characteristic of the young. Um, so we might think that one of the things that children do from the earliest age is imitate the kinds of role models that they have um, and in that way as well start to learn to become generous or courageous or um, more moderate uh, kinds of people. So does does Aristotle think that the non-virtuous agents or the children are able to distinguish who the virtuous kind of characters are in their life in order to imitate them? That's a, a really good question. And he's not explicit on it. So he, he doesn't talk explicitly about uh, imitation in the ethics. So um, he does say that we become, you know, we become virtuous by doing virtuous things, by doing what the virtuous person would do. So there seems to be a suggestion there that we are able, in some sense, to recognise virtuous people uh, as opposed to vicious people. And again, in, in the rhetoric, uh, which is where I said that there's this discussion of, of emulation, that we try to emulate the virtues, that there seems to be a suggestion there that we are able, you know, roughly at least, to, to identify virtuous people and, and vicious people. And I suppose if we take a step back from this, there seems to be something true there that, that generally speaking, we are able to, even whether or not we're virtuous ourselves, and I wouldn't presume uh, that, that we, 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 we tend to be able to point to examples of, you know, incredibly courageous people. We can point to other figures, we might think exemplars of vice. You know, we do seem to have an ability to recognise virtuous and vicious people, that said, of course, we might be in societies where the conception of virtue and vice is, is wrong. We might be mistaken and, and perhaps even the whole society might be mistaken. So I don't think Aristotle thinks that he's giving us an infallible guide to becoming good. But that said, he, I think he does think that we are able, kind of roughly speaking, to, to pick out exemplars of virtue and those who we want to imitate and, and those who we don't. And, and I think... As I said, if, if we reflect on this ourselves, that the, there does seem to be, we do seem to have that ability. We do seem to agree on who are these paradigm cases of courageous agents are and, and who paradigm cases of, of vicious agents are. So as long as there are some virtuous agents around us, we'll hopefully be able to figure out which ones they are and copy what they're doing. Hopefully. Um, <laughs> well, I, I think importantly for Aristotle, I mean, maybe you, you, you raise a question there, you know, could you become virtuous on an island, uh, marooned, as it were? And I think you probably couldn't. And that's because I think virtue is something that is importantly acquired in a social context. Um, I mean, perhaps at most you might be able to learn to moderate your your appetites, but it's it's hard to even see how that would happen. But I think Aristotle is always thinking about this as something that takes place within the polis, within the city, around other other people. You know, we need guides, we need teachers. And if you thought about the the learner, the child, you know, just on their own, brought up by wolves, whatever, then um, well, that's that's not the way that we do develop. So perhaps it shouldn't be surprising that you know you you wouldn't become 
virtuous in 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 all of the kind of the color of virtue that we've been describing you know if you were marooned from the age of six months on a on a desert island so once um, an agent has recognized or identified somebody virtuous to emulate or somebody vicious to avoid can that agent be stuck in that phase of imitation or is it automatic the progression from imitation to being virtuous Mm. So again, I should preface all of this by saying, you know, Aristotle doesn't say any of this uh, explicitly. So this, in a sense, is my take uh, on on what's happening in this process. But but that's drawing on things that Aristotle says at various points in the Aristotelian corpus. So I think that these materials we have at our, our, our disposal. I take it that this is something that will be gradual. So we might begin by quite consciously modelling ourselves on another person, trying to become like them. Um, so I, I think we're also not talking about mere mere copying, but if we're talking about imitating a person, you know, we're trying to become like that person. I think that might actually be quite sophisticated. So we might think about if I'm trying to become like a, a, a courageous person, I think, you know, well, what would it be for me to be courageous in this situation? What would they do? And, and to try to adopt their perspective as well. How would they see this situation that I'm in? So perhaps for some cases, even perhaps early on, perhaps in, in some cases, this might require quite a lot of conscious thought. But I, I, I suppose the, the picture is one on which that way of seeing things and, and starting to read situations well and responding well is something that becomes becomes one's own over time. So you start to find that you you do see things as as the courageous person does or as the generous person does. You see suddenly that this is an opportunity to share without having to think what would what would they do. So I think I think the picture is is surely one in which this gradually becomes one's own. But as I've said, when Aristotle's talking about becoming good, he's he's never presenting any kind of infallible guide. I take it it's theoretically possible that one could fail to get all the way there. So in a, in a way, you, you fail to fully become like the, the virtuous person. And, and I guess in that sense, maybe you could be kind of stuck at that phase. Um, it's a theoretical possibility, at least. But I take it, you know, the, the, the natural thought is that this is something that would gradually take place. I mean, if it was possible to not become virtuous because there was no virtuous agents around you, you'd probably also presume it was possible to not become virtuous just because you're bad at becoming virtuous. There's probably some people who have better abilities at emulating and imitating and picking up and analyzing and all those kind of skills as well. Right. I, and Aristotle, he does. So he speaks, for example, of, of the natural virtues. And I spoke so that by, by contrast, that the might think there are kind of natural vices. And so I, I said earlier, virtue is not something that we have by nature, but nature enables us to acquire it. But he he does think that, of, of course, people come with certain natural tendencies. Perhaps some of us are, are born slightly more irascible um, than others, or, um, you know, some have, have larger appetites. So um, he thinks that there is, you know, there's one standard that is virtue. So it might be more difficult or more easy for some people to get there than others. And, and as you said, perhaps even some people are just not as good at imaginatively inhabiting the perspective of the, the virtuous agent. Perhaps it takes more work for some. So I, as I said, yeah, you're, you're right that there's that kind of theoretical possibility surely has to be there. Um, and it's kind of backed up in, in things that Aristotle says about our natural endowments. Uh, so before we maybe go a bit more in depth on your kind of specific interpretation of uh, Aristotle is it worth kind of going into the extent to which Aristotle does talk about this and what he specifically says and then where people kind of interpret from there 
Sure. The, the main places that Aristotle talks explicitly about this are um, in, in book two of the Nicomachean Ethics. Um, and again, there's the, a discussion right at the end uh, of the work in the very last chapter, which is kind of a segue to the politics. Um, and he also has a, a discussion of, of, of upbringing um, and moral habituation in, in the politics as well. So there are some places that he explicitly talks about this. Um, so we have this, this claim that moral virtue is, is acquired by habituation. As I've said, that it involves doing these just and temperate things, that this is something we have, that has to take place over a long period of time, right from childhood he has a discussion of the importance of training our sense of pleasure, getting us to take pleasure in the right sorts of things from childhood onwards. Um, and he also, he, he later talks about the insufficiency of argumentation to make people good. So that's not to say that argumentation could have no role at all, but he thinks that without having acquired the right sorts of habits, without having actually engaged in these sorts of actions and come to take pleasure in them, for example, arguments aren't are just not going to have any power. So so that's the kind of information that we have explicitly there. He also uh, emphasizes the need to have teachers. Uh, and so, you know, the, the, the question really is, what is going on in this process? Um, you know, how does that how does that work? How should we understand the kind of practice that a learner engages in? What is the role of, of pleasure and pain in, in that process? How are those those senses trained? What does Aristotle mean? So those are the kinds of questions that people like myself are interested in and, and grappling with. And, and those materials and perhaps other, you know, scattered remarks from elsewhere in the corpus, as I've already mentioned, I take it that these give us the kinds of resources that we might then try to fill in the, the gaps of this account. So, for example, just thinking about imitation, as I said, this is not something Aristotle explicitly says in the ethics. He doesn't say we become virtuous by imitating virtuous people. But he does make these remarks that seem to suggest something like that at various places. And he says, you know, we do what the virtuous agent would do. So putting all of those together and then thinking, you know, as philosophers, you know, we can all reflect on what is it that we do when we imitate or emulate another person. Then we kind of construct a picture of what what we think Aristotle might have in mind when he's uh, when he says, you know, we become by, good by habituation and we become good by doing these these virtuous things. So it's not enough just to be reading Aristotle. We also need to be listening to our philosophy teachers and <laughs> emulating their behaviours. Yeah, you, you, you do indeed. So he really, really stresses, this is the real practical uh, focus of the ethics. He really stresses that simply listening to, to arguments, listening to lectures is not going to make you virtuous. In fact, he says um, in the first book of the ethics, um, and then again later, um, at, right at the end, he, he says that, in fact, for someone to, to be able to benefit from his lectures, for someone to benefit from reading the Nicomachean Ethics, you already need to have a good upbringing, by which we mean everything that I've been talking about, being well, well habituated doing these things. Because a treatise on ethics and the, you know, a flourishing life, I suppose the thought is that that's not really going to mean anything to you if you don't already have a sense of morality, of what 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 is good, of what is fine, what the fine thing to do is. So, Think of ex-US presidents who we might think have never shared in their, their life and are not paradigmatically generous people. You might think that giving them a treatise on ethics and how a flourishing life is one that consists, uh, at least in part, in being generous and doing the fine thing is just not even going to make any sense. They're, they're going to say, what are you even talking about? Or, you know, well, that's foolish. <laughs> it's too late. Too late for them. <laughs> exactly. So this is why he says that get acquiring the right habits, doing the right things 
from the earliest moments. Um, and going back to the thought, in a sense, making this a second nature to us, that we do just things, that we do courageous things. Um, and it's through this that our various capacities kind of develop in line. So are, are these people lost that haven't um, habituated from a young age? Or That's a really good question. He touches on this. On the one hand, he talks about the many who haven't been well brought up. And and he, he suggests that, well, these at least, they, they do obey fear and uh, punishment and so on. But he, he goes on to talk about at least some people who seem seem to be thoroughly incurable. Um, it's, you know, so there are some people, he seems to think, that there's just no hope. I think there's a really interesting question as to whether, you know, of, of those who, who haven't had the right sort of habituation, who haven't become virtuous, but aren't the thoroughly incurable, whether there is scope for ever kind of getting back on track, as it were. So on the one hand, I mean, it seems right to say that that would be incredibly difficult because you're, we're talking about, you know, someone whose habits in that rich sense of habit are formed, someone who's developed in a particular way and and you know it's hard it's really hard to change that because it's become almost like nature but I you 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 might wonder would it be possible for someone like that if they ever did perform you know a generous action is there the possibility that they might discover something about that and that that might enable them to slowly over time to change their ways so I don't think for Aristotle if there is a possibility of change for people who've developed in a certain way it's not going to be in one moment. It's going to require practice and habituation. But I'm optimistic that there's at least the possibility there, precisely that perhaps doing something like starting to share, that agents who have developed in a certain way might be able to discover the value of sharing. You you realise that, oh gosh, I really made that person happy and that felt nice or or something like that. So I think it's a really interesting question to what extent we can change or not for Aristotle. Uh, I think he thinks, you know, we're, it's pretty difficult. We de- when we develop in certain ways, it's fairly fixed. It's almost part of your nature. But it seems like the, there might be some possibility, at least there, for, for change, which is interesting. And then on the flip side of that, for the person who can't achieve that because of their upbringing, is it possible to become a virtuous person or is it a kind of goal that you have to strive after your in, your entire life for Aristotle do you ever achieve it is it possible if you've had the perfect upbringing to then interact with all the virtuous agents as and become virtuous or to become as virtuous as you can good so the question is you know is this a mere ideal that's unattainable or is it actually attainable and again it's tricky Aristotle he's not explicit and there are there are things there are ways that as I said, this is a thoroughly demanding state. So it, it, it certainly looks difficult to attain. And he says at points that, you know, hitting the mean, for example, is rare, praiseworthy and fine. Um, so he's he's aware of, in in some senses, how, how, how rare this is. And you might think on the one hand that really we're talking about something that's just an ideal and most of us, non, no one gets there. But on the other hand, he does talk about this, you know, he, as I said, the, the Nicomachean Ethics is about the human good, about what a human, a flourishing human life looks like. And so he does seem to present it in a way that this is something that we can achieve. And, you know, he talks about what the virtuous person would do. He talks about, as I said, of the young emulating the virtuous, which, which would seem to indicate that they are around. So it's tricky. I think you can kind of read it in that the, there are moments that where it looks very idealized, very unattainable. 
But then he does also present it as a human thing, as almost quite, you know, every day that this is, this is something that we obviously work towards. And I suppose for, for that reason, I think I'm, if I'm going to come down on either side, I'm going to say, well, I, I think it is, virtue is achievable. According to Aristotle, he does take himself to be talking about the excellent state for humans, um, but it is the excellent state. So it's hard um, and it should be, right? This is what excellence consists in. And I guess the closer you get, the better uh, virtuous agent you are for the next generation to look towards and hopefully get closer still. Right. <laughs> a, a virtuous circle. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, uh, I think that might be a nice, a nice, really <laughs> nice. positive, optimistic end. Yeah, to it, it, we could have ended it on a vicious circle as well, but <laughs> let's, let's stay with the... Uh... Oh, you had to mention it. No, there we go. Um, so I'd just like to thank you again for coming on the podcast. It was really nice talking to you and hearing all about Aristotle and his various attitudes towards vice and virtue. Thank you so much for having me and, and for, for really excellent questions, kind of pressing Aristotle on, uh, on this aspect of his moral theory. Thanks again. Thank you to everybody for listening. And remember, you can find us on social media, on Facebook, under Thoughts U of G, on Twitter, under the same name, and on Instagram, under Thoughts underscore U of G. See everybody next time. <laughs>